folks, welcome to the pod. It's Dougie Fresh, and today I'm uh, interviewing Danny Sky King of RV8 and Beautiful Doll fame. Danny, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule. It's my pleasure. You want to jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so how did you find your way into the RV hobby? Describe that moment you knew that it was going to happen. Well, I was always a, a admiring RVs as they flew in and out of the airports and walk up and look at them and tell the whoever it was feeling them how beautiful the airplane was. And, of course, every time I went to Oshkosh, which was almost yearly, I would walk through vans and look at the uh, quick bills and the ones he had on display there. Loved the airplanes. And the wife wanted to uh, build one. She said, why don't you build this quick build RV6 here? And the RV6A was so close to what I was already flying airframe-wise. I had a Grumman Yankee, little two-seat, okay. tricycle, sliding canopy. The only thing wrong with it, it had a 108-horsepower engine in it. Right. And so instead of building another whole airframe, I decided I would try to get the FA let me turn it into an RV6A by putting an 0320 in it and a new cowling from an RV6. I knew I could make it fit. And so I took the plans over to the FAA at uh, Alliance Airport, the gate of office, and they looked at me like I stepped off a spaceship, you know, not only no, but get out of here, you know. <laughs> and so I put that to rest, and uh, and there just wasn't an RV that was right for me. I, I love the four. I'd walk at it because I'm a tandem kind of guy anyway. And my wife is 5'8", and I thought she'd be a little too cramped in the four. So I just kept walking through the, the RV section every time, admiring the airplanes but not making any motion towards building it. And then in 1997, I arrived at Oshkosh and I did my usual tour through vans and the prototype RV8 was sitting there and I went, oh no, oh no. <laughs> that was the airplane. I knew I was gonna build it and I said, I gotta talk myself out of this. I'll be all, all you know, crazy about it. I'll spend all my time on it, lots of money on it. And I'll be uh, totally uh, obsessed doing it. And so I, I had left Oshkosh with just two things, the, the video cassette of the RV story, which the 8 wasn't even in it, and the brochure for the 8. And I said, I'm going to let this fever go away. So I went home, and it just didn't go away. <laughs> so I called a buddy of mine that I flew T-38s with down in Del Rio, Texas, years before, who had built a 4. And I, I hid the fact why I called him. And after talking about, hey, how have you been, all this, I said, hey, you still got your 4? Hoping he'd say, oh, I got bored with that and sold it. But he goes into this love fest about this only airplane he enjoys flying. And the, the, every weekend they have RV day and they, they fly formation and they build the ones that are building. And then he says something like, well, I, there's just one thing I kind of, you know, I miss. And I said, come on, talk to me. I haven't talked about it. He said, I really miss the building. I think I'm going to build an RV8. And I went, oh, damn. <laughs> I said, Jim, you're supposed to talk to me out of building an RV8. That's why I called you. Well, then he went nuts and said, oh, you've got to do it. I said, I tell you what, I won't do any more talking. You bring Martha Jane down here and fly the four. You can just take it and go fly. I'll let it do all the talking. And I said, yeah, you're going to let me go by myself in the only airplane you enjoy flying. Well, he sent me military orders for a low level to be over this bridge, this dam, at this altitude, this time. And my wife and I flew down in the uh, the Kristen Eagle at the time. And then I arrived over this uh, dam down that in that area in the Houston area all these RVs swooped in on me <laughs> there was a couple of sixes there was a couple of fours there was a three and they escorted me to a great barbecue place and then Martha Jane got in the back seat of the four and here I'm in a 200 horsepower constant speed eagle he's in a 150 horsepower wood prop 
<laughs> RV4. And we did a wing takeoff like we were flying T-38s. <laughs> and about the first few seconds, I had power on him because of my 200 horsepower yeah. constant speed. And then he started moving forward. I hit the full forward on the throttle, and it ran off and left me. And I'm burning 20 gallons an hour at that power setting, and I didn't have fuel to get where we were going unless he pulled the power back, and he did. <laughs> and I was so impressed. And so when we get there, Martha Jane goes off with his wife because they hadn't seen each other since Del Rio days. And he puts me in the front seat of his forward. I said, no, you get in the back. I'm not taking the airplane by myself. He says, yes, you are. I got this radio right here in my hand. You've got a question. Just call me and I'll talk. And reluctantly, I taxied out with his airplane, took off. And about five minutes later, I felt like I'd been flying this airplane 100 hours. It was so perfect. And I called him up and said, what's well, the speed for a loop? And I did a loop and I did rolls and... And I mean, it was just like I'd been flying the airplane 100 hours already. And I came back. I was a little bit nervous landing it because that's where I'm going to get in trouble. And it didn't even put up a fight. So I did a couple of touch and goes and then a full stop. And uh, the only problem I had with the airplane was getting it slow enough to put the flaps down because it fixed pitch. I had to climb on downwind at idle power. Yeah. And then I taxied in and the guy that owned the three handed me the key said, well, you might as well fly this one too. <laughs> And it had the same engine and prop the forehead, and it was a rocket ship. And I said, oh, I was so hooked in. I said, all right, I, I'm sold. I'm going to do this thing. And uh, the rest of the visit with Jim, he took me to the shop and taught me how to countersink and rivet and drill out rivets. And he said, if you need help, I'll come up to South Lake and help you when you do your tail kit. So that's how it all started, and I'm so glad it did. That's awesome. So you built it, and... Uh Tell us, you've got an RV-8, it's, it's well known on the internet, it's called Beautiful Doll. Tell me about it. Well, um, I was right, I was obsessed about it, and even though it was a slow build, because the quick builds weren't available yet, I would have gladly gone that way, but they weren't available, and they told me it was four months to get the wing kit. I figured it'd take me that long to build the tail kit, so I ordered both the tail and the wing kit together. And once I did that, there was no chance to go quick build because you had to buy the center section with a fuselage in the wing at the same time back right. then. Right. And uh, so I was going to be a slow build. And it took me about three months to build the tail kit and then right into the wing and then the fuselage. And I was rolling through the thing. And uh, two years and seven months later, it was fully painted and ready for its first flight. And um, I told people that are having trouble finishing their RVs. I say, look, all you got to do is go out and work on it five minutes a day. And they look at me like I'm nuts. And I said, no, really, it's like a book on your nightstand. You know, it's a good book. You like it. But picking it up and opening to the next chapter and starting to read is the hard part. But once you get into the chapter, you're going to read to the end of the chapter because you're yeah. hooked into the chapter. And I found the same thing on the airplane. I'd go out to the shop intending to work an hour maybe and i look up at the clock and it's one in the morning and a holy mackerel i gotta get to bed <laughs> i got a trip tomorrow for american and the time would just fly by and uh that's how the whole thing went and as soon as i'd finish a part i'd hang it on the wall and look at it and go holy mackerel i built that i couldn't believe it you know and it's the satisfaction of doing something like this is is i really can't put into words I know. it's incredible how old were you how old were you when you started building I was 49. I wish I would have been about 31 when I built my first pit uh, special, the home, first home built. Uh, and because I'd like to have the airplane for another 15 or more years to right. fly instead of starting at 49 and flying at 51 or 52, early early 50s. And because it's been such a joy and, and somehow 19 years has gone by. Yeah. And, uh, and I've been flying the airplane that long. It first flew in July of 2000. And uh, the time has flown by. And the airplane looks the same. I look a lot older. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can I'm, attest to that. I'm aging. The airplane's <laughs> not. It's amazing. So you got into aviation for reason A. 
Is that how it panned out, or did it end up being something else? It was totally more than I thought, because I didn't buy the airplane. You bought it to fly. I bought it to replace the Yankee. I was so tired of being jacked around by the FAA. They have an AD on something. Then they reverse that, and every time it caused me money and time and trouble. Yeah. And I couldn't sign the airplane. All of it was certified. And I had guys who would help me, let me work on it, but they still had to come do the paperwork. And I just got fed up with the way the FAA would ring me, run me around with a ring in my nose. Yeah. I said, wouldn't it be nice if I built a plane and I was the AI for it? Yeah. I could do all the inspections and everything. And so basically, I'd, I'd had it with certified airplanes. And at the time, I had partnership in two and, and I owned all of the Yankee. So I had 100% of the Yankee, I had 50% of a Kristen Eagle, and I had 50% a, a of a J3 Cub. And the, the uh, Grumman and the Cub were certified, they had to go. And then the Eagle, I really didn't have any use for it anymore, even though it was a much better aerobatic airplane than the RV. But I was older now, too, and I didn't need to be doing outside snap rolls and stuff yeah. that the Eagle did breathlessly. And uh, so it went, too. And, they, and ironically, all those airplanes had appreciated so much. I mean, I had half of a partnership of 48000 the Eagle. We sold the airplane for 75000 yeah. And the Cub, we, we had... Uh, 8,000 each in it, 16,000. We sold it for 20,000. And the Yankee, I paid 5,000. I was a high bidder from the Air Force Randolph Aero Club for that Yankee, and I sold it for 25,000. <laughs> now, I did spend some money on them, obviously, <laughs> in between, but my airplane hobby hadn't cost me a dime in, for the last 20 years, and I owned the Yankee for 23 years before I sold it. Mm -hmm. And so basically, after I put all the money in the bank from selling the three airplanes I had to fly, I only had one to maintain. I could do all the maintenance on it, and I had more money in the bank that I took out to build the airplane. Yeah. It was great. Tell me an interesting story involving you in RVs, maybe something somebody you met on a ramp or something you saw, et cetera. Well, the first time I took the airplane to Oshkosh was 2000. It, it, I barely got the time flowing off where I left because I f flew on the 12th and left for Oshkosh about two weeks later. And I was sitting there drying it off in the heavy dew in the morning, and a guy walked, uh, I noticed the people coming around it all the time, and one of them was, was Van himself. Now, Van never leaves the tent and comes out and looks at the airplane, but he came out to what is now home-built camping, where it was parked, and looked at it, and I was really impressed at that. And then a few months later, I get a call from Vans, and they want me to bring the airplane to Sun and Fun in 2001. And uh, wow, what an honor. So I did. And Van himself helped me push the airplane into a parking space. Well, it's another story, but I ended up breaking the exhaust system over water on the way to Lakeland. And so I asked Van, do you mind if I pull the cowling? I need to get this exhaust fixed. And he said, uh, heck, if you pull the cowling, they'll come to this airplane like a moth to a light. So I took him off and put him under the wing, and, and I was sitting on a chair, a solid stool, taking the lower right exhaust off, and a couple walked up to me and started asking me questions. And I said, please don't be offended if I don't make eye contact with you. I've got to get this exhaust fixed. I mean, that's number one in my chart right now, but I'll answer all your questions. And he asked some very good questions, not just the usual how fast does it go, you know, that sort of thing. And then he walked off, thanked me very much, and walked off. Well, about five years later, I'm at Oshkosh and I'm drying the doll off or something and this guy walks up and says, you're not going to remember me but because you didn't make eye contact, but I talked to you at Sun and Fun 2001 <laughs> and and we walked away, my wife and I decided I was going to build an RV8 and I thought, oh my God, they're probably divorced now or something. <laughs> and I said, well, how did it turn out? And he said, 
it's parked about three rows back. I'd love to come <laughs> look at it. <laughs> and I walked over there, and he had a beautiful, very well-built um, RVA. And, and I thought to myself, I was his inspiration, but I didn't build my airplane to be anybody's inspiration. I yeah. built it to replace the Yankee. And, and it just turned out to be that way. Yeah. And I, I'd go to people's web pages on, I saw on VAF, the, they're explaining something they did and I was interested in it. And when their web page opened, there'd be a picture of the doll in flight and this, <laughs> with a sign, this is what I'm building. And I had other people come and say, I've got a, a big blown up picture on the wall of my shop. And, and I said, well, that's great. <laughs> And I, I know what it really is. It's just the paint job. Everybody loves the, the Mustang yeah. paint scheme. And, and so they put it on their wall as inspiration to build their eight. And that's been a great amount of feedback, which I did not expect when I built this airplane. And I have all these friends I didn't know before I started it. And people I've flown to places with, like Johnson Creek, Idaho, which I never would have done with the Yankee. And so really all the things that have happened since I built it were things I never even uh, thought would ever happen yeah. when I started the project. Well, it's pretty typical because I've heard Jay and all the other guys it, it rarely ends up being what they thought it was going to be. It was a whole lot more. It ended up being 90% something else. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it still is. I mean, and it, it still is. I've been flying the airplane 19 years and every time I get in it and take off, I get the RV grin. It just doesn't go away. I know. Okay, let's go over to the speed round. Let me hit pause here. I'm going to close this door so this guy mowing his yard's not going to bug yeah, us anymore. I, Stand by one. We can wait okay, we are recording again and the door's closed. So note to self, close the door before you start recording. We're in the speed round. You ready? Ready. Secret talent. Well, anybody that rides in a car with me thinks I'm, you know, very impatient uh, guy. But when I start building something like a tail feathers of an airplane or something, I have an amazing amount of of uh, patience to do it right and that even surprises me so your secret talent is patience patience that, that <laughs> i don't normally ex show well, your, your paint job all those checkerboards yeah and stuff, the, the checkerboard the paint job yeah. the the riveting you know all that was easy for me to have patience with because i really wanted it to be as good as i can make it or yeah. the rest of my life i don't ex show that very often <laughs> weirdest job you've ever had i was only 14 years old and uh, i had my very first job as a matter of fact and other than mowing lawns and that sort of thing. And I drove my scooter out to a little airport near the house. This guy named Herman owned a little FBO there. And he hired me for a summer job. And the first thing he did, he said, I might as well put you work right away. And he took his pocket knife out of his pocket. He opened it, handed it to me. He said, go over to that, Jay, that tailor craft over there and cut the fabric off of it. <laughs> and I looked at him, what? You're 14? Yeah, I'm 14. And he said, stay on the corners. We may need the old fabric to where to put the inspection plates and that sort of thing. So he was going to recover this airplane. And that's the first airplane I worked on, uh, cut the fabric off and worked with Herman that, that summer, putting fresh fabric on this tailor craft. <laughs> and, uh, and my first weird job was to take a knife and destroy the fabric <laughs> on an airplane. Do you remember what you made? Oh God, dollar twenty-five an hour or yeah. something like that. <laughs> okay, guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure, and I almost feel guilty, but not too guilty. Uh, when I get up in the air in the doll by myself, and I look down on the the crowded roads and the traffic and all the ground pounders down there, I actually feel superior to them, <laughs> looking down on them like from an omniscient position and thinking, those poor suckers, if they were just seeing what I'm seeing and doing what I'm doing, they would realize how mundane their lives are. So all that's hell, King pleasure. Danny. Uh, what never fails to make you laugh? 
Oh gosh, um, I have three pets, two dogs and a cat, and they are so playful and they do silly stuff and they crack me up all the time. One thing you will never eat or drink again. I will never eat broccoli. <laughs> I remember uh, George Bush, Herbert Walker Bush saying, he doesn't have to eat broccoli because he's the president. That's right. And then they send all these trucks of broccoli to us to the White House. I don't like it either. My wife but, likes it, but yeah, I don't I'm like not it. much of a vegetable eater. I try, but uh, there's a lot of vegetables I don't like to eat. Uh, as far as drink, buttermilk. Yeah. I tried it once, nearly gagged. So never again. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Superpower. Wow. Uh, I would have eternal youth. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be immortal no and, and just be young again. That'd be a wonderful superpower. Best advice you ever got? My dad was my instructor pilot. And when I got my private pilot's license, he sent me down and said, son, I want you to listen to this. I want you to remember this. So there's two kinds of pilots in the world. There's old pilots and there are bold pilots, but there aren't very many old, bold pilots. Yeah, and I've remembered that my whole life. Whenever I think about doing something stupid, <laughs> Uh, that comes back to yeah. me about not being a bold pilot. Yeah. Worst advice you ever got? Worst advice. Well, uh, I had had the most perfect Air Force career because I was stuck in Texas flying T-38s, not more than 150 miles from my home. And I ended up back at Randolph where it all started for me when I was a child. My mother worked on the base and, and they were bringing in this new trainer plane. And you would you like to go out with me and see it? And I said, heck yeah, I was an airplane nut. And a T-38 came screaming south down the road. We just subsonic and pulled straight up in front of the crowd and did slow rolls till it was a little white speck in the air. And I tugged on my mom's blouse. I said, I'm going to fly those. <laughs> and about 11 years later, I was flying those. And then I ended up being an IP myself and did my tour at Laughlin undergraduate. And then I got invited because I did good at the other thing, I guess. And they invited me back to Randolph, my hometown, where it all started instructing instructors at PIT, and uh, but then I, my tour to the Air Force was up. The Deregulation Act was signed. The airlines were going to start hiring, and I decided to um, try to get hired by the airlines and lead the Air Force. Even though I still had time on my tour at Randolph, which I did not want to give up. That was the most incredible job. But I had a guy in my office said, "You're never going to get hired by the airlines. Don't even try. Don't give up this great Air Force career." <laughs> Well, I ignored that advice, and when I got my acceptance letter from America, and I laid it on his desk, and I said, read it and weep, but actually I was not gloating too much. I kind of was hoping that he would uh, realize that they're not going to come knock on your door. If you want to be an airline pilot, you're going to have to go campaign for the job, yeah. and, and don't just take no for an answer. So that was bad advice I ignored. Good. Something you wish you were better at? I wish I was better at the English language. I would like to be like Paul Dye. The guy is such a good writer and a good speaker. I mean, if you look on the forums, he's got about 12,000 posts now. I haven't quite hit 600 yet. And, um, and I've been on it longer than he has. But uh, Paul's kind of like E.F. Hunton. When he speaks, people should listen. And uh, he's an incredible speaker and has such a mastery of the language. When he retired from NASA, he certainly was a perfect pick to take over the uh, Kid Plains magazine. So if I could do anything better, I'd like to be able to write and spell and and talk like like he can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, outside interests, uh, outside of RVs. Well, I started building uh, models in in 
when I was a kid, and, and then I graduated to radio control when I was in college. Couldn't afford to fly the Bigwood very much. And then I continued building larger and larger scale models until I got a one-for-one, one, uh, <laughs> like the one sitting behind me here. And uh, so I still fly the, the one-for-one, one, of course, and then I still fly the smaller scale as well. Radio control is still a passion I enjoy. Okay. Any organization or charity you want to plug? I tell you what, the USO is uh, a wonderful organization that doesn't get any government support. And uh, Martha Jane works every night at the USO uh, at the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport helping our troops. Some of those guys are green behind the ears, fresh out of school and, and uh, just enlisted and going to training and they're lost in big airport. And they bring them in and they feed them and they get them on the plane, <laughs> otherwise they'd miss it and be AWOL. And uh, they do so much for our troops. And uh, if you want to donate to a, a good organization that all the money doesn't go to support the, the staff and the hierarchy, but goes to helping our troops, that would be it. Okay. So segueing segue into the porn industry, using your first pet as your first name and the street you grew up <laughs> on as your last name, what would your porn name be? I'm afraid it would be Duke Brettonwood. <laughs> That's not too bad, Duke Brettonwood. That's pretty good, yeah. Pretty good. Okay, the remainder round. What aviator, past or present, would you like to have dinner with? Hands down, that would be uh, Bob uh, Hoover. I met him back in the mid-70s when I flew a T-38 and went to the out to Reno races. And he was flying the big yellow Mustang back then yeah. doing the... Uh, uh, lead ship for the unlimited races. He always seemed to have time for people that wanted to talk to him and uh, very, mu very much a gentleman. And then I got to talk to him later in life when he was interviewing, well, he was signing autographs for his book. And uh, he, the line was down and I had a chance to talk to him a few minutes. I thought, what a guy to emulate. This is the best stick and rudder man there ever was. Yeah. And I wish I could do a Vulcan mind meld to his brain <laughs> and pull out all of his knowledge of flying. And it would make me a hundred times better than I am. Now, your favorite non-RV aircraft, is it the T-38 or the P-51? Well, I'd have to break that into two categories, piston and jet. And if you look on the wall back there, there's a model of each side <laughs> by side. And uh, I've had a chance to fly both, and uh, they're both marvelous airplanes. And uh, yes, uh, P-51 for piston-driven and the T-38 uh, Talon for jet. Now, if I'd flown the F-16 or the F-15, that, that would have been it, but I didn't get a chance to fly that. Yeah. But I got gobs of time in the Talon, and I could make it sit up and beg before I left it. And uh, so I'd like to fly it one more time. I think I could do it without any help. Yeah. Uh, if somebody's just, uh, you know, hook the air card to it and let me start it, I think I can still fly the thing. But that would be a, a real thrill. At my How age. old were you when you soloed? I was uh, 18 years old. And, and what uh, airplane? my dad was my instructor. And believe me, that is not the easiest way to go. But I was willing to put up with the abuse for the $7 an hour I wasn't spending uh, for an instructor pilot. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a J4 Cub Coupe, which is basically a yeah. J3 with a fat fuselage. Right. And right. you sat very close to the guy next to you in it. And uh, my dad was an air traffic controller at San Antonio International Airport. And Mexicana had blown some tires landing on 12, the big runway there, about near the end of it. But they had to close the runway. So he called his friends in the tower. So we're going to use the northwest end of this runway and do some high-speed taxiing, which I realize now is not the best way to learn how to tailwheel. But anyhow, he'd, 
have me get it up on the step and then he'd pull the power to idle and I had to wrestle it to a stop. And he kept yelling to me, keep the stick full back, keep the, and I kept letting it bobble and the tailbone was bouncing like a basketball. And he's screaming in my right ear, can't you ever remember a thing, you know? So the next time I said, <laughs> I was saying out loud in my head, stick full back, stick full back, stick full. And when he pulled the power off, I pulled the stick full back. And the airplane got airborne for about a foot, <laughs> stalled, <laughs> fell back onto the right wheel. And we did this great big screaming tire arc across <laughs> runway one, two, my first uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, ground loop. We went off the edge of the runway into the grass, and the airplane spun around and rocked back onto both gear. Nothing touched the ground. Nothing was hurt. But he was uh, assaulting my right ear with, "We don't own this airplane." But what he was really upset about was all of his tire buddies saw it, and they were going <laughs> to give him a lot of grief about it. <laughs> but I soloed that airplane later that week, and so I I had tailwheel time before I ever got my pause license. Yeah. Tell me about a time that you had a problem in the air, any airplane, and what you did about it. Well, probably the most dramatic one was in the T-38 over at Randolph. I was tra training a trainee how to land from the back seat. It's a little harder from the back seat because you can't see anything until you give up trying to see anything and just go with uh, your peripheral vision. But he was in the back driving the airplane, and we were on 45 to initial at 280 knots. And I'm sitting there fat, dumb, and happy in the front seat. And he rolls into a 60-degree two. 2G turn to line up with the initial. And as we rolled out, this black cannonball went sliding down the side of the airplane in a flash. And the T-38 shuddered like we'd taken, you know, some kind of a missile hit. And the right engine instruments all went to zero. So I took the airplane from him and noticed this awful smell coming into the cockpit. And I pulled the other engine back, and when the airplane got to 240 knots, I threw the gear handle down, the flap handle down, and I called the, the mobile controller out there that played referee for that auxiliary field in Seguin, Texas, where we were shooting these landings, and that I'm landing from right here. <laughs> and I lowered the nose to 38, and I knew the sink rate was a little high and the, and the angle was a little steep for that airplane, but I aimed short to get down to the glass up. Then I cobbed the power on the remaining left engine to cut, cut the sink, and then uh, landed it and I pulled off the runway and uh, climbed out and was shutting down the left engine. I got out and walked around and the intake on a 38, anybody looks at it, it's not very big, but this five pound bird with probably a four foot wingspan <laughs> did a slam dunk, nothing but net <laughs> into that <laughs> intake. It didn't even touch the edge of it. And you could look in the intake and look out the burner cans out the other end. That J85 went out the tailpipe. No, yeah. There was nothing left but the casing and a lot of bad-smelling odor from meat stuck in the cooling fins of the right. afterburner area. And so we knew that airplane was going to have to get a new engine before it went anywhere. And so wow. we had to wait around till the van picked up the mobile crew, and we went back to Randolph. And somebody else came and got my airplane that day. Wow. But that, in, that emergency was so short because I just – descended and immediately landed from initial uh, that I didn't have time to get scared about it until I thought about it afterwards. I said, that, that thing went by my canopy just inches from my head. Gee. Had it been a foot to my left, I wouldn't be making this podcast. Yeah, taking your head <laughs> it, off. It had been a bowling ball. It would have taken me out instead of the engine. So Dang. anyhow, that was pretty hairy. So after the Air Force, what did you do uh, at your day job? Well, uh, I... Uh, like I said, decided to go to work uh, for the Airlines American was the only one that interviewed me, or I should say the first one to interview me, and they hired me. And uh, I spent 28 years flying airliners around, which is not nearly as exciting as T-38s, but the pay was good. Pay was good. What airplane? What? I uh, 
sat in all three seats of the 727, a flight, flight engineer for six years, which was forever. And by the time I got to the right seat, I wasn't sure I could fly that well. And I was paired up with a guy that was furloughed, and he was flying a 727 for some freight hauler, and he was doing perfect, and I couldn't seem to hold level flight. I mean, it was terrible how much I'd atrophied in my ability <laughs> to fly instruments. Uh, but fortunately, on the check ride, I peaked, and he had a bad day, and I actually did better than he did. And, <laughs> and so I set, set in a coal pilot seat for three more years and then made captain, and I made captain just before I turned 40. I had a captain before 40 party, or roughly 10 years between getting hired and making the left seat. And, uh, and I was on the 7-2 for a total of 23 years. I, I knew the airplane very well. It was a great airplane, a pilot's airplane. It wasn't one you, you turned on the autopilot and managed it. You actually flew that baby. And uh, I was very sad when they retired it. Yeah. Uh, how'd you get your call sign? Well, um, Sky. Sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a program all of us young kids that loved airplanes watched in the 60s called Sky King. And it was sponsored by Nabisco, and it was a 30-minute program. <laughs> and this guy buzzed people off the road with his 310, all the bad Don't guys. Don't you remember and, Nabisco? And, yeah, Nabisco. <laughs> they, the little wedge in the corner, it would fly in the commercials, <laughs> oh, you know. And uh, anyhow, it's my favorite show. I never missed it. And now I had a student looking at me like I was a sky god because I had wings and he didn't. And he started calling me Uncle Sky. <laughs> and if you, anybody knows anything about that show, probably, most people listening probably don't have an idea what we're talking about. But uh, he had a, a nephew and a niece, Penny and Clifford, and, and they called him Uncle Sky. And so um, uh, one day I went into the flight room to go on a flight and grab my parachute, went over the peg to get my helmet, and right across the, the glare shield, the shield cover was a, the word Sky. I still have the helmet. It's sitting uh, over on the shelf uh, with the word sky on it. And that became my my military call <laughs> sign or nickname. And it's that to this day, if I fly formation with the boys here, it's sky flight. Yep. What did you give up to do the RV thing? Was there a hobby that you kind of traded in? Uh, actually, no. Uh, I had three airplanes that I flew. So I gave up three airplanes for one. For one. You know, having a really competitive aerobatic airplane to fly was fun, but that's all it was good for. Yeah. And then the Cub, you know that. They're, they put a goofy grin on your face every time you fly. I'm yeah, talking about you can't grass go anywhere. Group. Yeah, you can't go anywhere. You just, you know, fly around and, and, and grin and look at the ground. Right. The Yankee was easy to give up because the RV was so much better. And it only burned about a gallon more an hour, but did it at about another you know 80 miles an hour faster right right. so if you could only fly one more time knowing it's your last flight and you can choose any plane past or present what would it be that would have to be the t-38 uh that was simply the most exciting airplane i ever got to fly uh supersonic stud it uh, took off light every time three thousand foot takeoff rolls 300 knots before the end of the runway you know uh, it was a super fun airplane to fly, and and not only that, it was not a difficult airplane to fly, considering it was built at the same time some of the Century uh, widow makers were made. Uh, it had no really bad characteristics, and you could solo an Iranian in it in five, 15 hours you know, or so. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to expand on that because uh, th- that was going on when you were in the Air Force. Yes, it there was. It was an Iranian exchange <clears throat> program. Yes, we were friends back then, and the Shaw was our friend, and yeah. and I had uh, Iranian students, and uh, and of course um, some of them were very good, and some of them tried to kill me, and one came darn close. <laughs> but uh, I managed. I, that's one thing I developed from all my flying, and I think it's one of the questions. Uh, 
uh, what did you develop from? Well, I developed a, scene, a keen sense of self-survival. <laughs> uh, and if an IP in a 38 flying with student pilots doesn't have that, they won't survive. Because yeah. the airplane was easy to fly, but it didn't tolerate certain areas. We call them coffin corners. And students kept trying to put you in those. Yeah. What aviation milestone are you most proud of? Um, that was, that's an easy one. Um, I volunteered for the craft program at the airlines call, and it, it's an acronym for Civil Air Reserve Fleet. And that's where you're really not flying for the airline. The airline is rented out, the crew and the airplane, and you're flying for the U.S. government. And I would carry troops to and from Kuwait. And I didn't like carrying to Kuwait as much as I did out. Coming out of there was always a party. I yeah. mean, I never closed the cockpit door during the flights, and they could come and go in the cockpit all they wanted. And uh, and when you got ready to leave, you'd start cranking the engines, and you couldn't hear them because the, the roar in the back would start. And it was kind of <laughs> low, but you could hear it. And then when you push the throttle up to start taxiing towards the runway, it got louder than the engines again. And, they were and when you show the power up for takeoff, it was unbelievably noisy <laughs> coming from the rear of the airplane. They were so happy to go home. And, and one particular flight, I took these guys to Miramar. And about mid-Atlantic, I was told I was going to have to go somewhere else because the, the approach there was out of service and there was no IAF to file to. And now we're back in the U.S. and we had to play by the rules. And I said, you're kidding me. All their family and lovers and friends are going to be there at Graham. And I said, you get it fixed. And... And they said, well, we'll work on it. And about Denver, hours later, they said, okay, we got it fixed. You can go to Miramar. I said, don't test it again. And when <laughs> we landed at Miramar, it was about one in the morning. And and there was no jet bridge on the Navy base. So, so we parked uh, about 75 yards from this big hangar that had the door halfway open with a big flag draped between the doors. And you could see all the tables set up and the lights in there. They were going to have a party. And there must have been five, 600 people behind a rope. And the troops loaded and unloaded the airplane. So I, I stood just outside the main door on the platform, about two stories up in the air. And I watched uh, you know, the guys uh, unload the airplane. And finally, they made them all form up in, in ranks like it was an Air Force graduation or something. I said, come on, let them go. And finally, <laughs> after the command was dismissed and they dropped the rope and all these troops, 300 of them or so, ran towards the mob, which was coming the opposite direction. And it was incredible. Also, I must have gotten some dust in my eye or something because <laughs> they started watering like crazy. And <laughs> And I said, this is a good thing I'm doing here. And it was like, you know, you watch on TV where a guy surprises his family coming home from uh, overseas and surprises them that he's there and it's always heartwarming. Well, I got to see that times about, you know, 500, yeah. you know, of, of the wives and the children and these soldiers coming together. And it was really a wonderful thing. So last question, what's next on your aviation horizon? Well, what I, gets really, you excited? I really came close to altering a subsonics jet kit. <laughs> and when Paul Dye did it, I called him up. I said, I want you to know something, Paul. I'm not jealous that you did this. I'm thrilled that you did this. I'm jealous that you're turning 61 <laughs> and I'm or turning 60 and I'm turning 70. Yeah. And if I was turning 60, I would already have that aircraft under construction. But then he built the silly thing in 85 days, and, and yeah. I'm reevaluating it. Maybe it won't be three years like, <laughs> you know, to build the thing. And I thought about it again, and I thought, no, Danny, 
just keep the doll in great shape and fly yeah. it and 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 live vicariously through his reports. And maybe if Paul is listening to this, he'll let you fly his well, jet. Well, I, I told him that if he ever needed to move the jet from A to B, yeah. that I knew a very experienced jet jock that would work for free. Work for free. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he takes me up on it, but I'm not holding my breath. I'm not holding my breath either. Okay, well, Sky, it has been 36 minutes. We'll log this down at point six. Thank you for doing this, and uh, you're a good man. It was my pleasure. Thanks. All righty. Bye.